ahead and just jump right in. We're in Luke 24 this morning. I always think it's funny when people ask me, um, what are you going to preach on on Easter? And it's just like, huh, I mean, I don't know. Um, so we're going to talk about what you think we're going to talk about. Um, I want to say we're going to talk about sex, but that would be, my mom's in here, and so we shouldn't do that. That wouldn't be funny. And so we're talking about the resurrection, of course. Um, as a joke, I didn't know if I should land or not. didn't know if it would be good. was even hesitant up here doing it, but here we are. So, um, okay. Um, man, experiencing life for the first time can be special. My mom was a flight attendant, speaking of my mother. Um, she was a flight attendant for Delta for 36 years, and so I had the privilege to be able to travel places uh, growing up. And so uh, some of my closest friends were missionaries in uh, Paris. And so we're, I was able to travel to Paris a good bit growing up and uh, got to see the Eiffel Tower. And if you've been to Paris, had the privilege to do that. I mean, it's like for the first time, it's, it's just like takes your breath away at how massive this structure is, how big it is, how large those legs are to hold up that massive structure. Um, the first time was just just ridiculous in seeing that. If you think about national parks, anybody that just loves going to national parks? All four of you? Yeah, that's cool. So this will hit, this will land really well for you guys. And so, man, whether it's the Great Smoky Mountains, whether it's the Grand Canyon, whether it's Yellowstone, you go there for the first time. And it's, it's just mind-boggling to be able to see God's creation even in our country. Um, man, first time you fell in love with a good book, whether it was, you know, The Lord of the Rings or... For others, Harry Potter, if you're allowed to do that growing up. Uh, like for the first time, the stories are just crazy when you're able to enter that into that for the first time. As a dad, I have three sons, um, 10, 5, and 3. And so I've been experiencing this kind of for the first time thing all over again. Like the first time I cut an umbilical cord. Or the first time I, I heard my, my kids talk or walk or ride a bike. All of those moments were really special to me. First time I saw them go uh, take them to a Braves game. We all have these moments. And, and as time goes on, things become familiar, right? And those things that once were beautiful, once were filled with joy, once were filled with luster, are now kind of uh, dumbed down and just become familiar. And likewise, the Easter story, the resurrection story can become so familiar to us. We show up, we, kinda, we know what it's going to be talked about. And it's just kind of one of those things you kind of go through the motions. We forget the depth that's happening, the shock factor that's happening in this story. And so this morning, I, um, I want to look at two encounters in Luke 24. And I want to consider the first time experiences that some of these people had as they encountered the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke today, and we're going to look at two stories. Um, the first one, uh, starting at verse 1, I'm going to read and we'll talk about it. Uh, Luke 21, 24, verse 1, it says... But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, these women, and taking the spices they had prepared, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray as we embark upon this text and the beauty of this morning, I ask that you would 
uh, just blow on the dust of our hearts and awaken our hearts again to this story, the simplicity of the beauty of this story. In Jesus' name, amen. So early Sunday morning, these, these ladies bring spices. Why? The spices were designed to help the process of a body that has now been dead. And so they've gone expecting his body to be dead. So again, we, we don't want to shape uh, with hindsight a different narrative than what's happening. They are devastated by the moment. They are uh, struck with frustration and fear and they're wrecked by this reality. So the hope for both Israel and the world was now bloody and dead upon a cross. And I'll take off that cross and put into a tomb. He was crucified, the original electric chair of that day. He was dead. And so we just rewind a little bit to Luke 23. Let's just remember what these women are experiencing uh, just a few days before in Luke 23, 44. It says this, it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And in verse 49, and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. So they have just experienced the horror of horrors in this moment. All dreams are now suffocated. Hopes are suffocated. They have no more hope in what they were once relying on. So they show up to this tomb with sorrow. Sorrow that they just lost a friend. Sorrow that they have just experienced this dead man uh, who they once thought was the Messiah. He was dead. He was finished. He was gone. And they show up. And then the the stone was removed. Again, first time experience. The stone is removed, and you can imagine what's going on in their hearts. It's not, I don't think that they were hopeful in that moment. I think they're confused. And they walk in, and they see that his body is gone. Another text tells us that the linens are laying there where Jesus was laying. It's not at all what they expected when they showed up with those spices. And, And not only is the stone gone again, but the body is gone, so they're confused They're alarmed. And again, we have to try, and we have to try, and we have to try to imagine what is going on through these ladies' minds. Shock, fear, they're bewildered, they're disoriented, they're befuddled, they're probably just silent, standing. Again, like they're in the tomb, just shocked. What is happening? Where is his body? And while they're perplexed, these two angels show up. Another angels, because another gospel tells us, and these glowing men communicate to these women, and they say, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. It's like those moments begin to flash back in their mind. They begin to remember everything that Jesus had once said. They begin to recall upon these, these things. Could it be that maybe he has risen? You can imagine the flashbacks of, of seeing him cast out demons, seeing him uh, heal those that could not walk, seeing those that were blind now being able to see, seeing the winds and the waves obey him, his teaching with such authority, and then more specifically remembering that he said, I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to rise again. And it's like everything begins to flood back into their minds. And that moment of hope begins to flood what Good Friday had stolen. And it says in verse 8, they remembered his words. Again, we have the cheat code of hindsight. 
but they are fresh in this first time moment. So they sprint back, these women, sprint back to tell all of the disciples. These women were the first to hear the shocking news. And I, I so appreciate the authenticity of this story that we see throughout the Gospels, that Jesus went to women first. He could have gone to anybody. Again, if I'm him, I'm going to Pilate, and I'm terrifying him. Or I'm going to one of, the, one of the rulers, the guy that slapped me extra hard in the face. Like, I'm going to him and nightmares for weeks. Like, those are my first encounters. Again, like my own brokenness. But for Jesus, he shows up to women. And we don't really understand the depth of the context of this. But this is pretty significant. And it communicates a depth of authenticity to the story. See, women were not seen at this time as a credible source so for Jesus to choose to come to women is quite unique. I love that Jesus came to women first, and therefore Jesus was betting the story of the gospel going forth to the world by giving them first this message to the women of this day that were devalued. Celsus, the second century Greek philosopher, he attacked Christianity and, and echoed this notion. He said this about women. He said, how can anyone expect rational men to listen to the testimony of hysterical female?" And so this is a, obviously a misogynistic time, but he's just communicating the low status of what women were in that day. But the reality is Jesus came to women first to solidify that as we read this, we know it's authentic to us. He makes them the first heritals. So here's the deal. If you're making up a story about Jesus, if you're wanting this story, this deceptive story about Jesus to go forth in the world, you're not going to say that the first witnesses were women. But it becomes more authentic to us that it came to people that of that day were not valued, and yet Jesus did it nonetheless. And so they run back emotionally overwhelmed with joy and exuberance. These women with spices still in their hands run back to tell the disciples, why do you seek the living among the dead? So this first time, these women experience the shock of this story. And then we read on and we hear two others that encountered Jesus for the first time. It's going to be a large chunk, but we can handle that. Starting in verse 13 of chapter 12, it says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas uh, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, this is Jesus speaking, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted, remember that phrase, he acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And he, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us? While he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. It's a pretty special story we see here from these people that are walking on the road to this place called Emmaus. And another text, another version, we, we find that there's more bickering and frustration that is communicated than what this version gives to us. And so they're, they're barking at each other. They're frustrated. They're confused on what the heck is happening in Jerusalem, why this man has now died. And then Jesus shows up to them. They have no idea it's Jesus. And he kind of enters into the story with them. And Jesus jumps into the deep end with them. And then snarky Cleopas responds to Jesus. I mean, are you an idiot? That's what he says to him ultimately. Literally the only one in Jerusalem, like the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know this story. That's what he says to Jesus as Jesus smirks. See, we don't know much about Cleopas, nor do we know much about his companion. We don't know if it's a spouse, we don't know if it's a friend, a fellow disciple. We don't know who this person is. We also don't know why they're going to Emmaus. It could have been that the gospel had expanded and gone to Emmaus. It might have been that they were going back to their former life that they had before Jesus by going to Emmaus. We don't know the details, but we know that they're traveling there, and we know that Jesus meets them there. And Cleopas says that you don't know about the things that, are, that have happened, and he begins to lay out to Jesus what's taking place. Again, we have the cheat code of hindsight, but for the first time, Cleopas is deep in grief, deep in sorrow, He's not familiar at all with the story. And so he began to say, man, this prophet Jesus was sentenced to death and he was crucified. We thought that he would redeem Israel, but obviously he's not going to be able to because he's now dead. And it's been three days since all this went down. And, and then he goes on to say, and these women who I know, they came to us and they said that the tomb had been removed, the stone, and, and that Jesus' body wasn't in there. You can imagine he's just trying to process everything that's going on. And then Jesus counters and just begins to lay out the promises of God that have taken place throughout the Old Testament. That becomes the foundation for us by which we understand the New Testament. The clarity is found within the Old Testament. It begins to lay out from Moses onward just the things that had taken place for them to understand. That just as Moses raised the stick that turned into the serpent, that so Jesus would be raised up and that we could trust in him to be saved and rescued. Just like the lamb that was put on, uh, those slain, that the blood was put over the doorpost, so the greater lamb would come to rescue God's people. He begins to lay out how Jesus is the point throughout the Old Testament. And then it's as if Jesus, I can imagine kind of fake yawning. Oh, it's just getting dark out. I'm probably going to head back. And I think Jesus is actually funnier than we realize. And, and, so, and so they urge him, like, no, 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 come on, come with us. He knows what's happening. And so he says, no, 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 come on. Cleopas says, no, come on. It's the slate. You should head on. And Jesus, you know, says, fine. And then he reclines with them. And just like the night before he died, just a few days earlier, he took bread, he broke it, 
He blessed it. He gave it. And then their eyes were opened. And for the first time, they saw that who this man was was not who they expected him to be. They realized that he was the risen one. And as soon as they saw him, he disappears. I mean, it's wild. The resurrected bodies that we're going to get in the future age is going to be pretty fun. I don't know all the details, but what I do know, that Cleopas, imagine what's going on in his mind. I mean, imagine, again, for the first time, what's happening as he's processing everything that's just now taken place. I mean, it's the same emotions as the women felt when they encountered the angels. Shock. A level of fear bewildered, disoriented, befuddled, and yet excited and hopeful. For the first time, the story brought awe and wonder. But again, if we're honest, it can lose its luster for us. It's just another one of those stories that we hear every year. If you're a part of Sojourn, you hear it more frequently than that, but still, it's just something we can kind of allow the glory of it to be pushed aside. See, hindsight makes the story digestible. This story is not digestible. It's wild that this would happen. If we see it for the first time, it can change our lives. See, the actual story of the resurrection can feel like a myth. It can feel like a fantasy. And C.S. Lewis, he actually speaks to this, how the story of the resurrection, and frankly, the story of the Christian narrative is both myth and facts. He says Christianity is both a myth and a fact. It's unique. It's the true myth. See, it is both like a mythological story that God came to rescue his people, saving them from the dragon, from sin, from sorrow, from death, rescuing them by dying for them. It feels mythological, but it's also historical. That in real time, in the first century, a man who was Jewish came, declared that he was God, said that he was called his shot, said that he was going to die, and then three days later, he's going to rise. This one thing to say that you're going to die is a whole nother thing when you rise again three days later, just like you said would happen, and Jesus did that. See, it's not just a myth. It is a myth that has become our reality. This is the story we're hearing today, friends. It's a myth and a fact. It's shocking yet bathed in history. And if we see it for the first time, it can change our lives. And so I want to land with two things about how this can be relevant for us today. Jesus' resurrection matters today. That's the first thing I want to say. It matters today. There is therefore nothing too grand or too great that can keep you from him today. Nothing you've done that can keep you from him today. And if he has swallowed death, then nothing, truly nothing, can swallow you and keep you from him. If he can swallow death, then there's nothing that can keep you from his love, his care, his pursuit, his might. Which means that there's no circumstance that can keep you from his love, no circumstance that can keep you from his pursuit. Here today, friends, remember that today, because of his resurrection, he has risen. Therefore, there's nothing that can keep you from his pursuit today. And, secondly, Jesus' resurrection matters tomorrow. See, the Bible calls his resurrection first fruits. The first buds in spring point to what? That spring's coming, right? 
When we see these buds that are popping up, azaleas that are blooming, we see that this is a sign of pollen and eyes swelling up and a lot of sneezing, but it's not COVID, but it feels weird to sneeze in public. And, you know, but it's spring that's here, thankfully. And, and so we, we see a first fruits of what is our reality. And in the same way, his resurrection is the first fruits of what is to come. That he has risen, and it's only a matter of time before he will finish what he promised. Because Jesus rose, he purchased, purchased something for us. Jesus' resurrection points to a tomorrow where all things will be made new. And that's good news for us. In sorrow and betrayal and difficulty and pain, that there is a tomorrow coming because of the resurrection where he will make all things new. We just came out of the book of Revelation over the last couple of months, and we're finished with that now, at least for now. But what we find in the book of Revelation is that he will slay the dragon, that he will swallow death forever, that he will make everything that's sad come untrue. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And what Revelation 21 says is that death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. And his resurrection for us tomorrow is a down payment of what is to come. So we can hold fast today that his resurrection matters to us now, that there's nothing too grand or great that we have done or will do that can keep us from his care and love. And tomorrow... We can know that he has not forgotten about us, that he will finish this thing, that he will make everything sad come untrue, and we can cling to that as our true and only hope as followers of Jesus. Friends, this story can become so familiar. We want to remember, like they did for the first time, the beauty and shock and awe of what it is. God has gone to such incredible lengths to rescue this world and to rescue you, and you're not too far gone. It is this day when we remember yet again that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So friends, we cling to it. I don't know where you are. Some of you carry deep levels of pain, of circumstances that are going on in your life. And I just simply remind you that the fact that God came, entered into our world to rescue us, means that he hasn't overlooked the pain that you're going through. He's actually in it with you. For those that have sought to reject Jesus for far too long and you're just here because you feel like you're supposed to because you live in the South, I want to remind you that Christ is risen, that it is a true historical moment that we look to and it gives us hope and makes sense of this world, that God didn't just create and leave, but he entered in to rescue us by swallowing death and he will come again and you can trust him. You can put your hope in him. I plead with you to do so. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you so love the world that you gave your son. We give you thanks that you Father, Son, Spirit chose willingly together for this to be the plan of reconciliation and restoration. We give you thanks for your mercy. We give you thanks that there is one who has swallowed death forever as a down payment and the first few fruits of what is to come. We give you thanks. We think, give you thanks that 
You are risen indeed, and we can put our trust in you regardless of what's happening. And I pray for my friends, for myself today, that we would remember that you've come and you've rescued. Lord, draw near. We bless you, and we love you, and we honor you this morning. We thank you that you loved us first. In Jesus' name, amen.